Um, yeah, you can be praying for his safety, just for the, you know, he's on a sweet trip to Israel, so that's pretty cool. Um, this morning, if you would, um, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 43. Uh, while you're getting there, uh, a couple quick announcements for you. Um, first, just wanted to give you a heads up, uh, December 13th, uh, there's the Christmas open house for the 50 plus um, crew. It's out at the Fuller's house, uh, December 13th, uh, that's six o'clock in the evening to nine o'clock, um, food, fellowship, all that fun stuff. So um, talk to Richard and Melanie if you want some more information. There are signups um, out in the entryway. Uh, if you are ready to do that now. Um, last announcement for you is uh, we are getting close to Christmas now. Um, so like last year, we're going to be um, doing a Christmas choir for the kids um, during our Christmas service. We've got a couple of songs for them to join us uh, singing. And wanted to give you a heads up of that because uh, this week and next week, um, there are going to be sign-ups out in the entryway as well. Um, there's two practices uh, on a Thursday night that the kids would be um, hopefully, hopefully have them joining us. Uh, and then, of course, on our Christmas service. Uh, but the signups are only running for the next two weeks um, because that's when practices are getting started. So um, sign up if you're interested. Uh, pretty much any kid, if they can stand up here, um, Alyssa will take them. So uh, ask, talk to Alyssa if you've got more, more questions on that. Uh, but do sign up if you are interested. All right, Genesis chapter 43. Um, if you are able, would you stand with me? And we're going to read the first section here together. And then we're going to jump in. All right, Genesis 43, uh, verse 1. But the famine continued to ravage the land of Canaan. When, and when the grain they had brought from Egypt was almost gone, Jacob said to his sons, go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah said, the man was serious when he warned us, you won't see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you send Benjamin with us, we will go down and buy more food. But if you don't let Benjamin go, we won't go either. Remember, the man said, you won't see my face again unless you your brother is with you. Why were you so cruel to me, Jacob moaned? Why did you tell him you had another brother? The man kept asking us questions about our family, they replied. He asked, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? And so we answered his questions. How could we know he would say, bring your brother down here? So Judah said to his father, send the boy with me and we will be on our way. Otherwise, we will all die of starvation. And not only we, but you and our little ones. I personally guarantee his safety. You may hold me responsible if I don't bring him back to you. Then let me bear the blame forever. If we hadn't wasted all this time, we could have gone and returned by now. So their father Jacob finally said to them, if it can't be avoided, then at least do this. Pack your bags with the best products in the land and take them down to this man as gifts. Balm, honey, gum, aromatic resin, uh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Also, take double the money that was put in your packs, as it was probably someone's mistake. Then take your brother and go, down, go back to the man. May God Almighty give you mercy as you go before the man, so that he will release Simeon and let Benjamin return. But if I must lose my children, so be it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, for your word. Um, thank you for every opportunity we get um, to spend time in your word. Uh, we know that it does um, something good in our hearts, Lord. We know that it does something good in our minds. And um, we pray that you would speak this morning. Uh, let my words be your words. Um, protect these people from my words, Lord. Um, and make this a blessing to your heart today. Uh, we pray this in your name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Um, 
So if you remember, if you've been with us, and uh, welcome if you're brand new, uh, we're happy you're here. Uh, But if you've been with us or read through this book of Genesis yourself before, then you know um, the the story up to this point, right? Joseph has now become the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. Um, Basically, anything he says goes. Uh, Only Pharaoh can overrule him. Um, And his brothers have come once to purchase grain, uh, and as part of uh, some kind of a test maybe that Joseph was, was putting them through, uh, he kept their brother Simeon and told them that they, would never, they wouldn't be able to come back to him unless they brought their younger brother Benjamin. So um, they've been home now, they told their dad all about this, um, and now they've just been kind of going about life at home until they ran out of grain and they have to go back now. Um, so in chapter 43, we pick up that story We find that the famine is still going, um, just as Joseph had predicted. The famine is still going strong. They still have no food, basically, except for uh, what was was purchased on their last trip to Egypt. And this chapter is really interesting to me um, because the way I've kind of titled this is that it's a turning point. Um, And the way I'm reading this chapter... um, One of the themes I get is that this is a turning point Uh, for Jacob. I think we see a little bit different side of him than we've seen before. And it's also a turning point for Joseph's brothers. Um, We see them behaving differently than we've seen them behave before. And what I I get from this is that they're really starting to learn the lessons that God has been trying to teach them. Um, It's finally kind of breaking through and we see a little bit different side of them. So as we go through this, keep that in mind, um, and we'll get to that uh, in just a couple of minutes, but some of the the first stuff here that we've been reading is um, pretty interesting to me as well, Um, because as I'm reading this, and I don't know if maybe you're like me, reading through that section right there, um, the impression I get, and I, I don't know if this is true or not, but the impression I get is that they really haven't talked about this since they got home from Egypt, Right, I mean, you, you get this impression at the, the end of the last chapter in 42, um, they, they just got home, they told Jacob this whole story, and the last thing Jacob says is, my son isn't going with you, you can't take Benjamin, because if he doesn't come back, I'm going to die. Um, and that, that was the last thing we get. And now we jump into chapter 43, the famine is still there, and they've run out of food. And, and, every, and they, Jacob just kind of tells them in verse 3, or verse 2 rather, he says, go back and buy us a little more food. Uh, almost like he forgot about this conversation that they'd had months ago. Um, and, and Judah's like, well, he told you we can't do that. He has to like remind Jacob of that. And I, so I don't know if for sure that they've never talked about this, but kind of the impression I get is that this was just sort of, they didn't want to talk about it. It was uncomfortable. They didn't want to deal with it. So they just left it alone. Uh, but now they're out of food and their only option is to go back to Egypt and they can't do that. So it kind of forces the issue. They have to deal with this thing. So I don't know if they didn't talk about it, but the impression I'm getting is they're just trying to avoid this topic. Um, So Judah reminds them again, right? Judah is the one who does the reminding here, which I think is really interesting, right? uh, Verses three through five, uh, he says, you know, the man was serious. He warned us, you won't see my face again unless your brother is with you. He just reminds him of, of the story that they already told him. And he tells him twice, right? He says, Two different times, the man warned us, you won't see my face again. So he's really reinforcing the fact, this is not going to work. You can't, you can't do this. And I think it's really interesting that it's Judah that does the reminding. As I was reading this, it kind of stood out to me because Judah was the fourth brother. He wasn't the oldest brother, right? That was Reuben. And we've already kind of heard about the strained relationship that Reuben has with his dad. 
But up until this point, we've still seen Reuben sort of attempting to reassert himself as the oldest son. Um, right when the, the brothers threw Joseph into the pit uh, where they were going to just kill him, Reuben was the one who suggested, let's throw him into a pit. And then he planned later to come back and, uh, and to get him. And Reuben was the one who did that, right? So there's been times where Reuben has tried to reassert himself as the older brother, as sort of the secondary authority after their dad, as the leader of those brothers. Um, but in this case, it's not Reuben. Um, and several more times throughout the rest of the book, you'll notice it's Judah that does the talking. Um, Judah's the one who comes up and, and takes a stand um, and speaks for the family. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting that we've kind of seen Reuben fall, um, just kind of fall off. We, we don't really know what's going on with him. Um, and it's really interesting to me because this kind of fits with this theme that we see in this family of their um, inability or lack of desire to resolve conflict, right? When there's a difficult issue, it seems like nobody wants to deal with it. Um, unless you're the brothers, and then the only way they deal with it is just beat it up, right? They didn't like Joseph, so throw him in a pit and sell him. Like it, there, there's no um, you know, positive resolution of conflicts in this family, it seems like. It was, at this point, it's been more than 20 years since Reuben slept with his dad's concubine, which caused that rift in the family initially. Um, it's been more than 20 years, and as best we can tell, they've never dealt with it. Right? We, we don't really see any evidence of that. And the fact that he's not involved in this discussion here implies to me, again, that there's still, he, he doesn't feel comfortable going to his dad and saying something like this. So in 20 years, they haven't dealt with this. And, and I could be reading into this, right? It doesn't tell us straight out that they never dealt with it. But it, all the implications seem to, to point to that fact. And um, we see Jacob is still, he's still playing favorites, Right? Another point that caused a lot of rifts in the family over um, years and years ago, I think it's uh, something like between 13 and 20 years ago um, at this point into the famine. Actually, it's probably just over 20 years, um, but don't quote me on that. I'm doing math on the fly in my head. Um, but Joseph, or Jacob is still playing favorites here, right? He was playing favorites with Joseph. He was the favorite son, and that caused division in the family and led to a lot of this. Um, the, he's, he's been playing favorites even now with Benjamin. Um, he's the only other son he has left from Rachel, um, who is dead at this point. She passed away in childbirth with Benjamin. Um, but in verse 6 of chapter... Um, yeah, chapter 43, verse 6, he says, Why did you tell him you had another brother? Um, Remember how he talks, you got to remember how he's talking to these, these um, sons of his, because in the last chapter, when they first told him this story, um, chapter 42, verse 36, he said, you are robbing me of my children, um, because they told him he's going to have to take Benjamin, uh, as if they weren't his children, right? As if they were some other group of people that were taking his children from him. These were his children too. Um, in verse 38 of chapter 42, and just two verses later, he says, my son will not go down with you. His brother Joseph is dead and he is all I have left. Um, again, as if he doesn't have any other family, um, any other children. Um, Benjamin is all he has left. And so you have to imagine the way that would make, you know, a child feel. Um, it's, it's hard enough when you can tell that another, your brother or your sister or something is the favorite. Um, but imagine if your parent just told you, like, this is my favorite. He's the only one that matters. Um, I can't imagine actually hearing that. Um, but I imagine it would make it for a very difficult and awkward family relationship, right? Um, 
And so these are, these are conflicts that have never been resolved. They're still going at this point. Um, and then you add on top of that, I don't know if, if I'm the only one, but um, did anybody else forget about Simeon? I mean, we've got this story going on and we see all, this thing, all these things happening and they told them months and months ago that Simeon's in jail and we can't get him back until we go back with Benjamin. And apparently they just decided it wasn't worth it, uh, right? I mean, it was this really weird, your brother is in jail right now and nobody decided to go back. It wasn't, it, you can see the relationship their dad has with them. Um, that's why, right? Benjamin was the only one that, it didn't matter that Simeon was in jail. Um, so there's this really weird family dynamic going on. We've seen it kind of as we've been going, but uh, I mean, if you think about it, the, the trip from Egypt to Canaan uh, would vary with a lot of factors, but most people say at least three weeks um, could have been a couple of months that they had to go um, on that trip. Um, so you imagine a trip of at least a month or two, plus using up all of the grain um, that they, they purchased when they were in Egypt. Um, we're talking multiple, probably five or six months at least since they left Egypt that Simeon has been in jail and you'll notice in verse 10, um, they remind him, they said, if we hadn't wasted all this time, we could have gone and returned twice by now. So there's a lot of time that has passed by now that Simeon has been sitting in jail uh, and they haven't done anything about it. And they don't even really mention him until again, halfway through this chapter almost, down in verse 14, um, Jacob finally says, then he'll let Simeon go. Like, he knew this was a situation, but they, they just didn't deal with it. And I think that's a really interesting dynamic. And I think we'll see it a little bit later, but that theme of conflict resolution is something that kind of stuck with me as well, um, as well as being a turning point in this chapter. The dealing with conflicts was sort of a theme uh, that we see running through this, this whole passage, right? this whole section of scripture about uh, Jacob's family. Um, but you see, it's not dealt with, and you know, I don't know if you've experienced this yet, um, but I know I have. If you don't deal with conflict, it doesn't go away. It's not one of those things that just disappears. You know, those awkward situations stay awkward until we deal with it. Um, and that, that's a lesson I have to learn um, all, all the time, is you, have, you can't just let things go. You have to deal with it. You have to resolve those conflicts. Um, so this next section, or rather at the very end of that, that section there, uh, verses 11 through 13. We, we just read through them. Um, this is Jacob telling them, okay, here's what you're gonna do. You can go back, take Benjamin with you, take all of these gifts um, to give him, take double the money so you can pay for what you took last time and you can buy more. Um, he has this whole, plan, this whole thing planned out. And when I was first reading through this, I thought, this, fe this feels like classic Jacob right here. Right? Every time we see him in a difficult situation, we see him... Um, almost conniving his way out of it, right? That's why he was, his name means heel catcher, right? He was, he's always been the deceiver, uh, the manipulator. That's kind of been his character for a very long time. Uh, when, he, you know, when he went back to Canaan initially after uh, living with his, his uncle Laban, um, right, he, Esau was coming to meet him and he just knew Esau's trying to kill me. He's gonna come take me out. And he sent Right, he split up the family. He sent all these gifts and all these things to help calm him down. And, and this is kind of what he does. Um, and I, I just, I thought this is classic Jacob right here. Uh, but then, and this is where I kind of see the turning point happen. Uh, in verse 14, let's read that one more time. Um, he's ending his plan here. He says, take your brother and go back to the man in verse 13. 
In verse 14, he says, may God Almighty give you mercy as you go before the man so that he will release Simeon and let Benjamin return. But if I must lose my children, so be it. And I kind of see this as a little bit of a turning point for him because yeah, he's, he's got this plan. He's trying to make it work by his own means. But in his conclusion, it's sort of this leave it to God. You know, just bless, may God bless this journey. You know, may it work out. And it's sort of that handing the situation over to God to deal with. And I kind of viewed this as a little bit different for him because that's not really the way I've seen him behave um, in, in prior experiences. When he's in these difficult situations, that's not usually the response he has. It usually is him trying to figure it out. But now he's trying to figure it out and he's looking to God to bless it um, because I get the feeling he knows he can't figure it out anymore. Right? This is beyond him now. They have no food. His son is in jail. He's, as far as he knows, lost one of his sons. It's beyond him at this point. And so it's like, let's plan for this, but let's also turn it over to God and hope and pray that he um, blesses this journey uh, and brings our son home. Um, so I get the feeling, again, this is less like the manipulative Jacob we've always known and more like a wiser Israel, right? God changed his name because that wasn't supposed to be his character anymore, um, and that's not how he was going to be defined. And I feel like he's starting to kind of live up to that a little bit more. So I kind of see this as a turning point for him. So um, let's move on to the next section here. Um, starting in verse 15, we'll read a few verses. Um, so the men packed Jacob's gifts and doubled the money and headed off with Benjamin. They finally arrived in Egypt and they presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the manager of his household, these men will eat with me this noon. Take them inside the palace then go slaughter an animal and prepare a big feast. So the man did as Joseph told him and took them into Joseph's palace. The brothers were terrified when they saw that they were being taken into Joseph's house. It's because of the money someone put in our sacks last time we were here, they said. He plans to pretend that we stole it and then he'll seize us, make us slaves and take our donkeys. The brothers approached the manager of Joseph's household and they spoke to him as the, at the entrance to the palace Sir, they said, we came to Egypt once before to buy food, but as we were returning home, we stopped for the night and opened our sacks. Then we discovered that each man's money, the exact amount we paid, was in the top of his sack. Here it is. We have brought it back with us. We also have additional money to buy more food. We have no idea who put the money in our sacks. And I think this is a fun section, um, really interesting to me because, again, we see sort of a turning point in the brothers now, um, and we see that they're starting to learn these lessons as well. Um, and the, uh, it's, it's interesting because the last time they were here, they started to really come to terms with the mistake they had made with Joseph, right? I'm sure it had been eating away at them for years and years since they had sold him into slavery, um, but last time they really came face to face with it when they realized like what, what, what they were experiencing at that time was discipline from God. It was because of what they had done to Joseph. At least that's how they were feeling. Um, but now they're not just going to start feeling that guilt. They're not going to just come face to face with that. But now they have to... Um, now they have to take a, a turning point. They have to make a different decision than they made before. Last time they didn't do anything about it. They just felt really guilty and bad about it. Now they have to do something about it. And I think 
that's kind of shows how they, and, and how they respond to this situation, right? So they're scared to death that they're going into the, the most powerful man in the world, basically. They're going into his house um, for lunch. Uh, and that's kind of a weird thing. You're a traveler here to buy food, and the second most powerful man in the world has taken a really, really specific interest in you and your family. Um, and he accused you of being a spy last time you were here. Uh, it doesn't really look good, right? So you, you'd be scared at that point if you were in a foreign land like this. Um, so they're, they're for sure dying at this point. And, and their response to that could have been a lot of different things, right? We've seen them in the past when they respond to difficult situations, um, kind of be like their dad uh, and try to deceive and manipulate their way out of it. That's what they did with Joseph, right? They sold him off and then just convinced their dad that he had died. Um, and they've lived in that lie ever since. Um, they could have, uh, when their sister was raped, um, the, they went and basically slaughtered the entire town, not just the person who did the deed. They slaughtered their whole, the whole town, um, so they've, they've kind of been the manipulative side. Um, they've been the guns a-blazing, like going and blow it up side. Uh, they've done kind of everything, uh, but we really haven't seen them in a normal way resolve a conflict. And here we see them act a little bit differently. Um, and I kind of see the way they're feeling, right, this fear that they have. Um, I don't know if you've ever gone into, like, Target for something that you were looking for. You couldn't find it there. And so you walk out of the store uh, and you walk through like the check stands and there's a security guard. And I, every time I do this, I have this fear that they're going to assume I stole something. Um, and, and I have to think to myself, like, I literally think, how do I walk that doesn't look suspicious? Um, like you would never think about that except for whatever reason I have this fear. Uh, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one. Um, your laughter doesn't encourage me. Um, <laughs> But it's like, how do you act not suspicious? Or how do you say, I didn't steal something in a way that's not suspicious? You can't do that. Uh, and so they're in this weird situation where they are accused of this thing. They know that's what they're thinking, uh, but they don't know how to deal with it. And so they deal with it in an actually pretty positive way. They go to the person they bought the stuff from and explain the whole situation. Um, and that's, that's a whole different thing, a whole different um, you know, a character that we're seeing in these guys that we really haven't seen before. Uh, so they go to the, the manager of the house and they just say, look, this, this is what happened. We came here, we bought the stuff. Um, on our way back, we found all of our money that we spent was back in our pack somehow. We don't know what happened, but we brought it back. Here it is. Um, and they do the honest and honorable thing to go repay what they assume um, they're being accused of stealing. Um, and, and I think that's a really cool thing to see in them because this, again, is not how we've seen them behave before. Um, before, they would have tried to lie about it. Um, they would have just not mentioned it, hope it didn't come up. Um, they, they could have done a lot of different things, and yet, instead, they go and they try to, they try to make right the situation that they're in. I thought that was really interesting. And I think the next verse um, was really powerful for me. Um, verse 23, um, let's read that. Uh, they've, they've told them, the manager of the house uh, what happened. His response is, relax, don't be afraid. The household manager told them, your God, the God of your father, must have put this treasure back into your sacks. I know I received your payment. And then he released Simeon and brought the, him out to them. And I think there's a couple of really, really encouraging things in this. The first thing I thought um, when I was reading this verse, um, and I'm sure there's a, 
whole different situation and everything, but I started to think about the way he responds. His response is relax, don't be afraid. And I thought, when else do we hear that in the Bible? Um, and the first thing I, th- I thought about is basically every time um, anybody comes into contact with an angel, right? Anytime an angel comes before somebody, their immediate response is to just freak out, to fall on their face, um, to panic um, because of the power that, that you can sense the power that's in front of you. And almost always the very first thing an angel um, or God says to somebody who comes into direct contact with them is be at peace, right? Relax, don't be afraid, everything is okay, um, and we see that same response here. And I thought that was really interesting to me because I'm sure there, there's probably no like correlation that he's supposed to be representing something or whatever. But just that response, um, I think it's, uh, personally, I kind of think that's sort of a, an encouragement from God that they're doing the right thing, right? They made the right decision after many, many, many wrong decisions. And God is saying, it's okay, I'm gonna take care of it, right? He, he took care of it. And then he goes on to say, that God, the God of your father, is the one who put that money back, right? So it was, this was a blessing from your God, um, and he kind of points them back to God. And so uh, the interesting thing I thought is that Joseph at this point, we, we don't, for this manager, we don't know what his relationship with God is, right? He, he could just be a normal Egyptian and have, you know, any number of gods that he worships. We don't really know. Um, but we do know that Joseph wasn't very secretive about his faith, Right when uh, any time he had an opportunity to use the gift that God had given him to interpret dreams, he always gave the credit to God. Before Pharaoh, he gave the credit to God, um, and that was all. It seemed to always kind of be the case. He always pointed it back, and so we, we don't. We can't really assume that he was secretive about his faith, and so um, as we can pretty much assume that this guy's heard about this God anyway. He knows that there's a different God that Joseph worships. Um, who apparently can interpret dreams. Um, I don't know if he now believes in that God or if he's just kind of following the cue that Joseph told him to do this um, and he's just kind of playing along maybe. I don't know. Um, but it was encouraging to me that he pointed them back to God because I think it was important for them to, it was important for the lesson to be reinforced for them. This was not them getting away with something. This was God protecting them, right? This was God working the situation out for them, right? This was God answering Jacob's prayer that he would bless this journey. Um, so they've, they've made the right decision now in going and telling um, the, the manager here what happened and then trying to make it right. And now God is protecting them and blessing them in this endeavor. And I think that it's important that they realize this was not them getting away with something. This was uh, God blessing them for making the right decision, um, and this was God filling his plan, um, not their plan. So I thought that was really interesting. It was a really powerful verse for me um, to see, you know, this, as far as we know, this fully pagan person um, still kind of pointing them back to God and reinforcing these lessons. Um, and then we see this final blessing, right? At the end of the verse, uh, he releases Simeon. Simeon comes back out now and sees his brothers for the first time in many months. Um, and I can't imagine what Simeon must have been thinking, Right? Can you imagine being in prison for the, all those months knowing the only reason you're there is because your brothers haven't come back yet? Um, and I just imagine what he must have been feeling uh, and the questions he must have been asking. Um, and then I imagine Joseph. What, what must Joseph have been thinking? 
right? He's the one who ordered Simeon to be put in jail, um, and he knows why he's there, but he can't let him out because he put him in jail for this reason. So this this is weird thing, and finally, it must have been really relieving for Joseph to be able to finally give that order to bring Simeon out and reunite him with his family. Um, so verse 24 now, as we move on, uh, we see the manager then led the men into Joseph's palace and gave them water to wash their feet and provided food for their donkeys. And they were told that they would be eating there, so they prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon. When Joseph came home, they gave him the gifts they had brought with him, uh, they had brought him, and they bowed low to the ground before him. After greeting them, he asked, How is your father, the old man that you spoke about? Is he still alive? Yes, they replied, Our father, your servant, is alive and well. And they bowed low again. Then Joseph looked at his brother Benjamin, the son of his own mother. Is this the youngest brother, the one you told me about? Joseph asked. May God be gracious to you, my son. And Joseph hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brother. Then he went into a private room where he broke down and wept. And after washing his face, he came back out, keeping himself under control, and he ordered, bring out the food. The waiters served Joseph at his own table, and his brothers were served at a separate table. The Egyptians who ate with Joseph sat at their own table because Egyptians despise Hebrews and refused to eat with them. And Joseph told each of his brothers where to sit, and to their amazement, he seated them according to age, from oldest to youngest. And Joseph filled their plates with food from his own table, giving Joseph five times as much as he gave the others. So they feasted and drank freely with him. So um, Joseph now is bringing, he's bringing, he's rewarding his brothers with a feast, essentially, for, for finally coming back, uh, for, doing, for doing the right thing here. Um, they give him their gifts. The, they, they confirm this is Benjamin. He's the, the younger brother that we talked about. Um, and it's really interesting to me in watching this that they don't get more suspicious, right? We find at the end here, they're getting a little bit weirded out um, by the way he's seated them in, you know, in their chronological order by age and all this stuff. He's, it's clearly, there's something going on here. But it's, it's odd to me that they're not a lot more suspicious about this entire situation, um, right? I mean, he's the, the, the king, essentially, of this whole, the whole world. Um, he's just kind of running the show for Pharaoh at this point. And he's taken a very specific interest in them, of all people, even though probably there are people from all over the known world at this point coming to Egypt because it's the only place that has any food. Um, but he picks them and brings them into his house, really interested in their dad, and their younger brother, um, and their whole story, makes a big deal out of it, demands they come back. Um, and then he seats them, you know, he leaves the room hurriedly after meeting the younger brother. Um, he, you know, brings them into his house for a feast. Um, and, then, and then he seats them chronologically. Like, there's, there's something weird going on, and it's really interesting to me. Uh, maybe they are really weirded out by this, and we don't really get that because they didn't have a choice. You know, what are you going to say to the guy who's running the world at that point? You know, why did you do that? Like, it, you're not going to say anything. So maybe they were more weirded out by this than they seem. Um, but it just seems really interesting to me. I mean, the odds of him seating them in the correct order like that without any knowledge is like 1 in 40 million. Um, I just looked that up because I thought that was interesting. But that, that's insane. And you would think there would be a little bit more than just the, the brothers were amazed that he did that. Um, but they just, they eat a feast and they just kind of move on like it's nothing. Um, and then Joseph gets to Benjamin um, in the middle of this feast. 
And um, I, I think this is really, a, this is really cool. Um, this is a really powerful scene, I think, because Joseph uh, greets Benjamin um, and he breaks down, right? He, he can't control himself at this point. So he has to leave the room because he knows he's about to just break down in tears. Um, and he doesn't want to do that yet um, with his brothers. And so he leaves the room. And I think it's really interesting why he does this. And the Bible, it doesn't tell us exactly. But I think when we kind of piece together what their situation was, it makes a lot more sense. Um, because I'd always read this and it was just, that's what happens next. I didn't really think about it anymore. Uh, but when you do think about it, you realize Joseph was 17, right, when he was sold into slavery. Um, all of his other brothers were older than him. Um, so, but his younger brother, Benjamin, who most people believe was born at this point. Some, some don't believe he was born at that point. But um, most, most people think that Benjamin was probably like four, five, six years younger um, than Joseph, Right? So there was a pretty, pretty large age gap at that point, especially for someone who was only 17. Uh, if your younger brother was like 11 or 12, um, that's pretty different. Um, and you think about all these years later, we're talking about 20-ish years later at this point, your older brothers would all pretty much look the same, right? I mean, they were already older than you. They were already grown men at that point, um, all in their late teens or 20s or something, or at least, Right, So they're grown men. They're all going to look like the brothers you already knew. Uh, but when he sees Benjamin for the first time, he's seeing his 11, 12-year-old brother, maybe even younger, um, who is now like a 30-year-old man who has kids of his own. Um, for the first time in those 20-something years, he's going to look like a whole different person. Right? This is, and you immediately are going to have that rush of emotion of all the things you missed with that brother, how different he looks now. Um, just the first time seeing him, there's this really emotional thing that's going to happen, um, and he can't control himself anymore. And I think that's why it was different with him than it was with his other brothers. Um, there was a whole different, it wasn't just that this was his whole brother, right? The brother from, they shared the same mother and father. Um, this was, you know, a different thing because this was a whole different person now that he was seeing, and he had missed everything um, in this brother's life. And all of that hitting you at one time, it'd be really hard to keep it together. Um, but some really interesting things happen beyond that. that, 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 that. As we get into this feast here, um, the, the, the cool thing I found uh, was the, the idea of him giving Benjamin five times what he gave his other brothers. I'd always just kind of assumed, well, that's your whole brother, right? You hadn't seen him in all this time, so... Um, you gave him a bunch of extra food. Um, but as I was kind of doing a little extra research, I was reading through a commentary um, from David Guzik on this passage just to make sure I hadn't missed anything like super obvious. And he said something really interesting um, that I, it was just kind of a wow moment for me. Um, the reason he, from what we can tell anyway, we can kind of put this together. Um, it makes sense the reason he was giving Benjamin five times what he gave his other brothers is because the last time his brothers had come to face-to-face -face with someone playing favorites with the youngest brother, they had thrown him in a pit and sold him into slavery, right? So the last time they'd experienced this, they had made a really, really bad decision. And Joseph is now testing them when somebody plays favorites with the youngest, and he's made it very clear, he knows that this is the youngest, right? It, it, he knew he was the only one not there last time, but he's also seated them in order of their age. So he knows 
all of this. And he picks the youngest and gives him five times what he gives everybody else. How are they going to react? Because they haven't reacted well whenever that's happened in the past. And I thought that was really, really interesting, um, that this whole thing was sort of just a test to see, have they grown? Have they changed? Are they different people now than they were all that time ago? Because I think that's probably going to, in his mind, he probably has this whole thing played out in his mind of how he's going to reveal himself and what's going to happen at this point. Um, and just knowing Joseph, he's not planning to, like, if it doesn't go well, he's not just going to send them home with no food. Um, they're his family. He's going to take care of them. But I imagine the reveal and the conversation that kind of follows that reveal is going to be a little bit different if his brothers are the same old guys that they were, you know, 20 years ago than if they've shown that they've grown and they've changed. Um, the emotion and everything he'd be feeling at that point would be a little bit different. So he's testing them, and he wants to see uh, who are they now. And I think it's really cool that we see this happen, and it almost, the, the way this reads, it almost reads like they didn't even notice, right? Because the, the, the very end, it just says he gave Benjamin five times as much as he gave the others, so they feasted and drank freely with him. Like, it was just, they just went on. They just had food. They were all happy they got food. They all got to be a part of this party, and it was great. Um, and I think that's really cool. We don't see them even react to the fact that Benjamin was being the favorite here. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. Again, we see this turning point in the character of these brothers and their ability to deal with conflict, right? When you, you're playing favorites with people, that breeds conflict. And how did they deal with it? They just chose to not let it be a conflict, right? They just enjoyed the blessing they had and they moved on. And I think that is really interesting. Uh, as we move now, uh, sort of just into the application, what, what I pulled from this um, what I pulled from this really is character development. Um, and I think this is, is what we see kind of happening in the last couple of chapters uh, between even Joseph growing, uh, we see his family now growing and their characters. Um, and I want to spend a few minutes talking about character development and talking about how we develop a character, what that looks like, uh, kind of how we pull that from this passage. So um, the first thing I want to talk about is that character is proven with time. Right, character is proven with time. It's not just a lucky guess. You didn't just make one right decision. Um, that does not mean that you have great character. Um, that just means you got lucky or it served you in some way, right? That's all that could mean. Um, character is proven in a series of good decisions. Character is proven in the long run, um, not in the short sprint. And that's what God's really after in us, right? That's why he indwells us with his spirit. He gives us the gifts of the spirit. Um, we're told over and over and over again, we, the, the Bible talks about character. And it talks about having a character that looks like Christ. Um, that's our goal now is to look more and more like him. Um, and Joseph, I think, knew this really well. He practiced this in his life of making wise decisions whenever he could make a decision. Um, he attempted to do the right thing. Uh, and he, he grew and he learned as he went. Um, but the, the idea that we get is, again, there's nothing ever said about Joseph bad in the Bible. It doesn't say he made mistakes. Even though when kind of reading through this, we think maybe he could have made a better decision here and there. He always learned from those mistakes and grew. And he changed uh, as time went on. And we are starting to see this is starting to um, 
This is starting to come true in his brother's lives now, in his father's life. Uh, and I wanted to, to go through a few passages here um, just talking about character and why character is a long-term trait and not a short-term um, decision. In James um, chapter 1, verse 3, James says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Um, and that's really what is happening here with the brothers, right? This is one big test for them. Um, lots of little quizzes maybe, you know, it's just testing of who they are at this point uh, in their lives. And James is saying, when your faith is tested, your endurance will grow. Um, so, so how does that relate here necessarily? Uh, Romans, Paul talks about this in chapter 5, verse 3. And he says, we can rejoice too that when we run into problems and trials, for we know that, that they help us develop endurance. And there's this, again, this kind of recurring theme that this is endurance we're looking for, that testing pro- produces endurance. Uh, and he goes on to make this very clear why endurance is so important to them. Um, to the, the disciples, to these early leaders in the church. Uh, in the next verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 4, he says, And endurance develops strength of character, and character strength strengthens our confident hope of salvation. So that endurance isn't just, it's not just, you know, endurance for endurance's sake. Um, he's not just saying, hey, you learned to run a marathon just so you can run a marathon. There was a point to why you learned to do that. And what he's saying is that endurance is a development of character. That is strength of character to endure. Um, And so if you want to be a person of character, you have to develop endurance. And to do that, you have to be tested. Uh, That's going to be a part of that process. And we see that happening with the brothers of Joseph right here. They're being tested, right? Were they going to come back for Simeon? Were they going to bring the younger brother? Were they going to return the money that was given to them? Were they uh, going to be upset at uh, playing favorites with the younger brother again? Um, and they're being tested over and over here. Uh, and we finally see them starting to develop that character and that endurance as a response. The next thing um, that follows this, I think, is that your past doesn't have to define you. Um, and I think that's important to learn, and we're seeing that here. Um, the brothers made a huge mistake many, many years ago, right? Um, they had made many, many mistakes um, in their lives, made many wrong decisions, um, but those decisions didn't have to define what they were going to do now, who they were going to be right now. And I think that's important to realize that a life of bad decisions doesn't mean the decision in front of you right now has to be made poorly, Right? We can still choose right now um, to make the right decision. Uh, the, those other decisions, it might make it harder. Right, Making a lifetime of bad decisions is probably going to make it a bit more difficult right now to make a wise decision. Um, but it's still a choice you have. Right? You can still, it's part of the test. You can choose the right answer but just might be a little bit more difficult. Um, But the option is still there for you. So they have choices now that they're trying to make. Are we going to um, pick on Benjamin now? Are we going to stop protecting Benjamin uh, because of what's going on here? And they end up choosing the right thing here. And I think there's a couple of verses that I wanted to point to um, that kind of reinforce this. Uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 17 Paul says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. So all those poor decisions that we made and probably all of the decisions we made before Christ were poor, um, all of those things when we accept him have been washed away. 
Um, there's probably still consequences to some of those decisions that we may have to live with. Um, but those things are wiped off of our record, right? He, he washes us clean. He gives us a new, a new mind and a new spirit to start over at that point. We are a new creation uh, when that happens. First uh, John chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 says, If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. And I include that last verse there. It kind of probably feels weird to put into a a section about your sins not defining you, um, saying God's a liar if you're telling him that if you're saying you don't have sin. Um, But the point is, the, the idea in scripture is not that we just pretend our past never happened or that any poor decisions we've made were never actually made. Um, you know, that, that's our, it is our history, but that history doesn't make us who we are. You know, at this point, God is making us who we are now and he is working in our life um, to redeem that past and to do something, right? He's, he promises us in Romans eight twenty eight right, that he can take all things and work them together for good. Um, if we give them to him, if we love him and are seeking his will um, and we are living in, our, in the calling he has for us, he can do that. So we confess our sins. He's faithful. He forgives us, but he doesn't just forgive us. He cleanses us from those sins. And so I think it's really important to realize, um, and we see this lived out in the brothers, that though we may have made many or even just a few bad decisions, those things don't have to define us we can still, in this moment, in the decision before you now, choose the right thing, um, and we can choose to, to, to turn our lives to God and to, to make the decisions he has for us, as opposed to the decisions we might have made on our own. And again, I think that is a demonstration of that character. It's making those decisions in spite of maybe what you've done before. Uh, it's making those decisions and enduring through um, making those decisions because they're not always going to be easy. Um, so that's a, another side of that character. We endure and we develop endurance by, pass, by, uh, by going through this testing. Um, and then we, we don't let those failures define us. We continue to move toward God despite our failures. Um, and then finally, God can and does redeem our past. Uh, right? And this thing, this follows, we kind of talked about this already, but this follows that last point that our past is, uh, it is there, uh, but God can work all things together for his glory. And uh, the, so God isn't afraid, I would say, uh, in this vein of testing. He's not afraid of a retest, right? Have you ever done so poorly on a test that your teacher gave you another chance to pass a similar test on that same subject? I can remember being in school and we had like one class where we had a single class scheduled for going over one topic. And then uh, I think it was three weeks later, we were still going over that topic because so much of the class did not understand. Uh, and there was this constant like, here's another quiz. Did you get it? We didn't get it. Let's keep going. Let's try another quiz. Did you get it? We still didn't get it. And there was this long period of just retesting on the same stuff until we finally could show we had learned that. Um, and I think God often does the same thing. Right? He gives us a test, and if we fail, then he's going to test us again um, and because he wants to develop that character in us. Um, and it, it may not be the same things for everybody, uh, but there are some universal character traits that he wants to develop in us, right? Those, those fruits of the Spirit, that we are uh, long-suffering, that we're gentle, that we're kind, that we love, that all those things 
uh, are things that he wants to develop in all of us. And so those are things he's going to test us in, and he's going to continue testing us in those things until we learn them. Uh, And that's part of that refining process that he takes us through. And that refining process, I think, is, um, is really, it's a key theme through Scripture. When, when it looks at testing and it looks at how God builds character, uh, very frequently <clears throat> that building of character is related to refining um, fine metals and precious, precious gems. Uh, we see this over and over in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 3. We find um, Solomon says, Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart. And there's this, again, relation to um, that, that refining of um, these precious metals of silver and gold. It's related to the way that God tests us, uh, which means it's going to be kind of difficult, um, but it, it ends up being a valuable process because of what you get out of it. Uh, Job chapter 23, verse 10 says, but he knows where I am going, and when he tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. Again, that relation to that refining process. First uh, Peter chapter one verses six and seven, um, and sometimes I, I know I'm throwing a bunch of verses out, but um, I really like to when I try to make a point, I want to to pull from a broad spectrum of scripture to show like this is not just me making something up that sounds nice. Um, like this is a consistent theme as you read through scripture. So as we move now into the New Testament, First uh, Peter one six verses six and seven. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show you that will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Again, that relation to refining. um, And often when we hear about trials and um, difficulties, these things are basically, it's the same thing as testing. It's that same idea. And Peter relates those two ideas of trials and testing That's how the Lord disciplines, right? That's how um, he trains us up as he puts us in a situation where we have to use that trait. We have to have that character. And as we're in those situations, we grow uh, by being put into those and by exercising those character traits. Uh, If you think about um, normal things that we go through in training, if you think about like weight training, um, the, the way you get stronger and can lift heavier things is by lifting heavier things. The more you do that, the more your muscles grow, right? And you can do that. And part of that process is tearing down the muscle, right? It's actually being injured almost. Um, injured is probably the wrong word. Don't, don't hurt me if you're a trainer or something. Um, but you're actually like physically tearing your muscle when you work it that hard. And that soreness and the, the, the repair process after that is what makes it stronger, uh, and that's why you have to really push yourself to get stronger. The same is true with running, with, with any of these things, um, even in the, like the academic world, right? The way you learn more is you study, you read, you learn, you talk to people. You have to go through the work in order to, to build that base. And it's the same thing the Lord does with us um, when we're trying to become stronger or we're trying to grow that character. He makes us use that character. And the more you use it, the stronger it gets. Um, so the last thing I want to say here uh, as we're talking about building character and uh, making good decisions, making wise choices uh, is one of the ways we're building character. How do we do that? 
right? How do we make good choices? Because sometimes that's the hardest part, is it's not necessarily that um, you don't want to do the right thing, but you don't know what the right thing is, maybe. You have a choice before you, what do you do? And I'm gonna give the really obvious answer here, uh, but the answer is get wisdom. Uh, that's, that's what the Bible tells you to do. It says get wisdom. Um, in fact, literally, if you look um, at... Oh, man, which one is it here? Um, Proverbs chapter four, verses five through seven. Um, literally, the words he says are, get wisdom, develop good judgment. Um, so that, that is the, the, uh, the key. That is how you make good decisions, is you find wisdom. So how do you find wisdom? Um, in that same passage, right? So verses five through seven, it says, get wisdom, develop good judgment. Don't forget my words or turn away from them. Don't turn your back on wisdom for she will protect you. Love her and she will guard you. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do and whatever else you do, develop good judgment. Um, so those are the keys there and how you get those is you listen, right? You don't turn your back on them when, they're, when they appear, appear to you. He tells him to heed his words. Don't turn away from his words. Uh, in Psalm, uh, Psalms chapter 111, verses 10, uh, verse 10, um, David says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. So fear the Lord, um, respect him, revere him, and you will find wisdom. Obey his commandments, and you will learn good judgment. You will grow in wisdom when we do what he tells us to do. Uh, He is the source of all wisdom. Um, In James chapter 1, verse 5, he says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. There's no shame in coming to him and saying, God, I am not wise Um, or at the very least in this situation, I don't know what good judgment looks like. I need your wisdom. Um, He is not afraid of that. He is not um, put off by that. He's not the teacher who thinks, why don't you know this already? We've already gone over this for three weeks now. You should know. He wants you to come and ask for it. Um, So those, I think, are the three three keys to finding wisdom. Um, Ask for it, obey his commandments, and fear the Lord, respect him, look to him, honor him, those things will bring wisdom. And I think that's um, borne out when you look at uh, the people who's lived, who have lived their lives um, all the way into their old age, uh, following the Lord, seeking after him. Um, the reason we find those people to be so wise is because that's been their life. They have lived um, through the same experiences you are, so they've had to learn these lessons themselves Um, But they have gone through life now and spent years and years respecting the Lord, fearing him, obeying his commandments, um, and asking for help, asking for wisdom. Uh, And that's that's what develops that in the long run. So in conclusion, uh, I just wanted to read a passage uh, very familiar, I think, to many of us. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 through 20. Um, A very very good theme, I think, to take away uh, as we go into the week before us. Paul says, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power, at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask 
or think. So if you ask for wisdom, he can give you far more than you even ask for, and he loves to do that. We're not in this alone. Uh, We have decisions before us, uh, but he's there to guide us, and he wants to be a part of that process. So so turn to him, consistently look to him, uh, and I think we'll find that we grow in wisdom, we grow in knowledge, uh, we grow in character. Um, Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word. Thank you uh, for your desire to speak to your people, uh, for your desire to give us the wisdom that we need. Uh, We know we don't have knowledge and understanding uh, and wisdom as we need. Um, So we thank you uh, that you wish to give that to us. And so we come before you now. We ask you for that. We ask you uh, for your blessing as we uh, go into this week ahead. And we just pray that you would um, do that, Lord. Go before us and prepare Prepare the good works that you have for us this week. Uh, we give this, this, whole, uh, this day to you. We give you this week in your name. Amen.